what's the goal? You know, what am I trying to accomplish? I did this analysis. It's like, well, is it machine learning? It's like, well, does it solve the problem? Does it matter? No one's problem is that they need machine learning. What method I use, does it matter? Did I solve the problem effectively is what we should be asking ourselves. Welcome to the Esri and the Science of Wear podcast. You just heard data scientist Lauren Bennett, software development team lead for spatial analysis and data science at Esri, sum up her philosophy for solving problems with advanced analytics and emerging technologies. Here, Esri's David Gadsden lead this conversation about the role of geospatial thinking and data science in understanding and solving complex challenges in business and society. Hello, Lauren, and welcome to the Esri and the Science Aware podcast. Hi, David. You lead the software development team for spatial analysis and data science at Esri. Some time ago, there was a concept which you had helped develop called the language of spatial analysis. Mm -hmm. Do you think spatial analysis is actually like a language? So that project, the language of spatial analysis, it started out as us trying to create this taxonomy that we could use to say, these are the problems that you can solve using spatial analysis. It wasn't about tools. It wasn't about technology or software. It was really about what questions can we ask and answer using spatial data and spatial analysis? And we were working on that project and we were calling it the taxonomy of spatial analysis. And while I was working on this project to help people do spatial analysis, what I realized is that what we were building was actually something that was going to help people think about their problems differently because there are thousands of tools at our disposal. But if we don't have the right understanding of the problems that we can solve and the questions that we can ask, we're never going to get to those tools because we're not even thinking about our problem the right way. And so that relationship between language and thought and how we think through problems changed that whole project. It really made me think about it differently as this way that we could not just communicate and do better analysis, but actually literally think about our problems differently because we have new words to think about them and new language to use to think about them. You mentioned that many different types of organizations leverage spatial analysis. What are some of the more predominant fields or types of applications that you see? And then what are the industries or spaces that you feel like could really benefit from spatial analysis that maybe aren't fully adopted today? Sure. So one of my favorite things about being in GIS is, you know, that obligatory awkward conversation you have with the person on the plane next to you where they say, you know, what do you do? And I always answer that by asking what they do and then figure out how GIS is relevant in what they do. Certainly now more than ever, there's a, a big need in epidemiology and public health for thinking spatially about our problems. There's really increased work being done right now. And I'm involved in a lot of projects around social justice and racial equity, a lot of opportunities there. And we're seeing more and more, a lot in public safety, defense and intelligence, a lot just all over the federal government conservation, environmental management, that sort of analysis is critical. There's just a huge opportunity there, especially in the commercial space for more spatial thinking and more spatial analysis and problem solving that way. I mean, the technology has changed dramatically. What's changed even more is how people view analysis. You know, five years ago, I would tell people I was in analysis, like glazed look in their eyes. Now it's like sexy to be in, involved in spatial analysis. Data science is all the rage, you know? And on one hand, that's great because it does mean it's easier to get into it. And by that, I mean, it's we don't have to prove the importance of analysis. That seems now more than ever to be understood. On the flip side, it's easy to get swept away 
by the promise of this very buzzy area. And I think there's a balancing act that's happening where it is really easy to get into and not just that everybody wants to get into it because suddenly it's cool to be involved in analysis. But then we have to be really thoughtful about how we do that and how we take advantage of this moment that we have to seize. So on that thought, over the past few years, as the buzz around artificial intelligence really became dominant, I've heard you say that it's your belief that machine learning is only as good as the questions you ask. Mm -hmm. So what do you mean by that? And are we asking the right questions? How do we even know? Depending on the moment when you catch me, I might sound a little bit, I don't know, jaded, but I'm not. I am very enthusiastic <laughs> about machine learning and AI and data science. I am just a really big proponent of being conscientious and being thoughtful. And I think that the best analysis isn't the analysis that uses the newest method or the fanciest technology. It's an analysis that really is thinking about what's the goal? You know, what am I trying to accomplish? What actions will I take as the result of this analysis? And how do I make sure that that is what's driving the methods that I use and the questions that I ask? I think it's really easy to want to use the method of the day, but we should be using the simplest tool or the simplest approach to solve our problem and nothing simpler. It's that Occam's razor trying to keep things simple, but not too simple. And finding that balancing act is really important. And I think it's become more difficult now because there is this, I did this analysis. It's like, well, is it machine learning? It's like, well, does it solve the problem? Does it matter? You know, that's no one's problem is that they need machine learning. What method I use doesn't matter. Did I solve the problem effectively is what we should be asking ourselves. The reality is the hardest part of the analysis process is asking the right questions. If you haven't nailed asking the right questions, and if you're not doing it at the right point, you know, like you want to figure out what questions you're going to ask. Then you want to figure out what data you need to answer that question. Very often we're going the other way around, right? It's like, I have this data. What questions can I answer? It's like, well, why do you have the data in the first place? <laughs> we go at it backwards so often. What are the opportunities today to make spatial analysis part of operational systems as opposed to more of a sort of a research activity that takes content from a GIS and takes it over to conduct analysis? Is that evolving or changing at all? I think, you know, one of the big pieces there comes back to this idea that people are now valuing analysis in a different way. And looking to make data-driven decisions in a different way. So because of that, we're seeing in organizations across the board analysis being a cornerstone of how they're making decisions. And honestly, the technology has supported that for some time. The ability to come up with a workflow and schedule it so that it's regularly being reported on, creating dashboards and maps to communicate the results of analysis. Those things are there, but actually having consumers of those information products is critical, right? Like not just having them in a basement somewhere feeding up one level, but truly having there be this pull for analytics. Like it's not someone pushing like, please look at the results of this analysis. It's where's the analysis for the day? Like people don't want to act without the results of analysis now, which is amazing. What does it mean to tell stories with data and how does it su help support intelligent decision-making? The reality is you could do the best analysis that's ever been done, but if you stop there, 
or stop at a, you know, PDF report with a bunch of figures and tables, you aren't going to reach the audience that you need so that your analysis actually makes an impact. And so most of the discussions about what's a data scientist are these Venn diagrams, because a data scientist is basically just like someone that knows everything about everything. I mean, if you look at these Venn diagrams, it's like a skilled computer scientist, a skilled statistician, a skilled subject matter expert on everything that they might analyze. It's like, oh, so this person doesn't exist because they have to know literally <laughs> everything about everything. That's not possible. But I have really loved the ones that include storytelling and communication as one of the key pillars of what it means to be a great data scientist. Because in my experience, that's absolutely true. The, the best data scientists I've ever worked with have been people who are able to not just do great analysis, but also communicate and convey the importance of the analysis that they've done, how to interpret the results of their analysis. It's not just, I'm so smart, trust me. It's, you are capable of understanding the results of this analysis and what the implications are for you. So let me break it down. Let me give you what you need to understand it and be able to make decisions using it. So I think that that's something that we're seeing more and more of. And, and you're also articulating like a, almost a consulting role for the data mm -hmm. scientist to be an advocate of mm -hmm. the process. Is that, am I getting that right? Yes. And I think that it also gets at it comes again back to this interdisciplinary and like cross team collaboration because the best stories being told aren't a data scientist by themselves. Like I was involved in this really exciting project where some folks from Harvard were working on some research and some folks from our team got involved in the research. They were looking at environmental racism, specifically the relationship between race and ethnicity to air quality. And essentially the findings were that while air quality and as a whole on average has gotten better in the United States, actually that's very disproportionate and that it's been getting better faster for white communities. And actually the gap is widening and air quality is in some cases even worse, if not at least the same in communities of color. And so in order for that research to matter, what we ended up doing was partnering with folks from Cory Booker's office who were working on bringing law to Congress about ending environmental racism and partnering with them to create a story that showed how the results of this analysis related to how we can actually implement policies to solve the problem. Like we couldn't have told that story without their help because they're the ones out in the community, working with community organizers, understanding how this, these policies are going to impact those community organizers. Then we were able to combine this like amazing, sophisticated research that we worked on with real subject matter experts to do the storytelling that really mattered. In, in many ways, most of the greatest perils we face as a society, you know, climate change, environmental justice, mm -hmm. food security, these really are social justice issues. Yep. How, how can communities and businesses use spatial analysis to better proactively take on and address those types of inequalities? For one thing, we have to intentionally want to do that. And I am definitely seeing a lot more of that. I think that there are so many opportunities to apply a spatial lens to these problems. In a lot of cases, equity is a spatial analysis, as one of my colleagues has said. A lot of what has led to inequities are policies that were put into place that are themselves spatial. And those decisions that have been made, if we ignore 
the spatial, we end up ignoring like root causes and we start looking at symptoms. And those symptoms are not how we're going to solve the problem. If we take COVID, for example, we see COVID disproportionately impacting communities of color. That is a symptom of racial inequities. That is not COVID choosing communities of color. That's because we redlined communities of colors into places that have major sources of pollution, massive highway overpasses running right through them. Like those are decisions that were made by laws and policies that have a spatial character. And if we ignore that, that context, we don't get to the root causes. And so, and that's true for so many of these social justice, environmental justice problems. So spatial analysis can help us understand momentum around events in the world. Mm -hmm. Can you help us understand the ways that you're actually working to apply spatial analysis to the COVID-19 pandemic? Sure. So there's a lot of work being done across the board when it comes to response. I mean, it's everything from forecasting daily and cumulative rates so that we can be prepared at the hospital level, you know, individual counties figuring out how they should be prepared for two weeks from now if they're going to need extra resources, if they're going to need overflow space, that sort of thing. It's thinking about where do we site testing facilities so that we can equitably serve our communities and get people tested because that's a key part of our response. It's also on the economic side of things, you know, understanding unemployment. Unemployment is this, isn't the same across the board nationwide, worldwide. It has very different implications and has followed very different patterns in different locations. And so understanding those patterns can really help individual states, counties, countries, make decisions in a way that accurately reflects the problem on the ground and knowing that it's not going to be the same across the board. You know, we can't just treat one giant geographic area as a monolith. It's not. And and understanding those spatial patterns is crucial. There are so many different ways that spatial analysis has been used to, to respond to COVID that go very far beyond, I think, what we're all used to seeing or what we all probably think of when we think of a spatial response, which is, you know, the maps and the dashboards. They're important. They communicate to the public so that people understand the situation, but they're kind of, they're the tip of the iceberg as far as what's been going on. My next question is about how that entire response mobilization could apply to future threats around climate change or, or biodiversity loss? One good thing that's come out of this all from the perspective of our field is that now more than ever before, we are considered a key part of responding to massive, complex problems that organizations are trying to solve. We come uh, back again to this idea that geography pulls things together, right? A lot of times geography acts as this metaphorical key to connect everything together. You know, you have the this data from all these disparate sources. Like, yes, there's a ton of data. You can be data rich and information poor, right? And sometimes the more data you have, the harder it is to make heads or tails of it because you're just completely inundated with it. It's coming from millions of organizations all over the world collecting data. And oftentimes geography is the only way to connect that disparate data. The only connection point 
is that they share locations. And that's how we can provide this context to pretty much any problem we're trying to solve. The GIS folks, the spatial data scientists, the, the people thinking spatially and approaching these problems spatially who know how to deal with spatial data are now at the table. So on that note, what excites you about what's coming in the next few years relative to spatial analysis, new capabilities, new users? What I'm very excited about is the pendulum swinging into this middle place where we really value analysis and we, we know that anyone who puts their mind to it is capable of being someone who thinks critically about their data, who asks good questions, and who applies methods in ways that are useful to solve their problems. You don't need to you know, have a PhD in statistics to make use of really, really powerful tools to solve your problems. Lauren, it's been such an honor. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. It's been super fun. Thank you for listening to the Esri and the Science of Wear podcast, and thanks to data scientist Lauren Bennett for explaining how geospatial technology and data science clarify complex problems and influence equitable outcomes. To learn more about how location intelligence combined with artificial intelligence improves predictive analysis and drives competitive advantage, visit esri.com forward slash AI.